My kitchen's my make. My kitchen is my makeshift uh, uh, meeting room right now because the rest of the house is getting redone. So, oh no, you good? You good? I'm in, I'm in the living. I'm in a corner in the living room. So you're you're fine. All right. No worries. All right. So, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Cuatro Cuatro Dos. I almost forgot the name of the show. Uh, but today I have uh, somebody very, very special, somebody that, you know, the city of Houston, you know, holds very high, not only because of what he does today, you know, but everything that he has done for soccer for the city. Uh, you know, a uh, he holds an ACC title, uh, Supporter Shield, four MLS Cups. Uh, I mean, you don't get to talk to somebody like that every day. So I'm very, very honored to, to have today Eddie Robinson. How are you doing, Eddie? I'm good, man. I'm very humbled uh, that you went to those links. So yeah, I'm just a normal guy. I'm easy to talk to. I'm an average dude. I love the dynamo. I love soccer, uh, just the sport in general. And, you know, for anybody that's watching this, for everyone that's watching this, if you ever see me out and about, stop and talk to me because I'm just your average guy. That's the way I was raised to be. And that's who I am. And I enjoy getting to have opportunities like this. So thank you very much for having me. No, no problem. And actually, with those, those are one of the qualities that I, that I really kind of like about you, you know, getting to, I, I'm a, like a late Dynamo fan, right? I came to, to be a fan in the last few years. Um, I always been a soccer fan, but, you know, Dynamo wasn't like my first team, I guess, per se, you know, growing up in Argentina, I was always a, a Boca Juniors fan. That's what my dad kind of instilled in me. Uh, but, you know, living in Houston since I was a child, I was like, why not root for the hometown team, home, hometown team? So obviously I came to love Houston. And, you know, one of the people that kind of jumps out is, is you, you know, just because of, of your love for the city, your love for the team, you know, your love for the club. And uh, I really appreciate the fact that, you know, and on everything that I've seen from you, you know, you're, you're like you said, you're a regular dude. And so I and also I appreciate that, you know, you kind of got to talk to me and you were, you know, gracious enough to like take your time and stuff like that but I wanted to go back you know to the beginning of Eddie to the beginning of Eddie Robinson you know gr you were born in Florida but you grew up in South Carolina so can you tell me a little bit about you know growing up and when did you started playing soccer maybe as a kid maybe a club team or something like that in uh, South Carolina yeah well I, it's actually North Carolina North Why do yeah. I keep, I told my no. brother today, I get, I will get into it with my brother later. <laughs> no worries. They're both beautiful States. Uh, the only difference is North Carolina has the mountains. Mm. They both have beautiful beaches, but North Carolina has the mountains. So I was born in Florida, but I only lived there for about three months until my parents moved up to North Carolina. And, you know, fun fact about my parents, they've lived in the same house for over 40 years. Wow. Now, almost 40 years now, uh, I still go back there for Thanksgiving and Christmas and my kids love it. And it, it's it's a wonderful place. Um, but when I grew up, I lived in a neighborhood with a lot of kids. So we were doing everything. We played street hockey. We played football. We played baseball. We played basketball. We played soccer. We, we made up our own games. You know, when it got dark, we played hide and seek because we lived in a neighborhood that backed up to this giant field in a forest with a big creek in it that had giant frogs, crawfish, all this kind of stuff. So me, my brother, and all the kids in the neighborhood, we were outside every single day. 
for all we could do. And the only time we went inside was to eat yeah. or to get something to drink. But I mean, that these were the days where we drank out of a hose. And, exactly. <laughs> you know, I'd like to uh, give some credit to the hose that I grew up drinking <laughs> out of for my immune system now, because right. probably wasn't all that healthy, but you just developed an athleticism that you, you played everything, you did everything, but it was for fun. It wasn't for money. It wasn't to try to get a scholarship. You just did it. Yeah. And the only organized, there was two organized sports that I played when I was a kid. Number one was American football. And the first day I was out there, the coach grabbed me by my face mask, shook it and screamed at me. And I was eight years old. Didn't want to go back. So for the next week, the coach was calling my parents saying, this kid, he's faster than anybody we got. He can tackle better than anybody we got. He's an absolute maniac. Can you get him back out here? <laughs> and I didn't want anything to do with it. And they put me in soccer. <clears throat> so I was playing recreational again, all for fun. From the time I was eight until the time I was about, I think, 12 or 13. And then, you know, back in North Carolina, when I grew up, in the late 80s and early 90s there wasn't a lot of organized soccer like travel soccer like there is now you know you wouldn't travel to dallas and boston and san antonio like they do here in texas now it just didn't happen or down to brownsville i mean you played in the city where you grew up and that was it And there was maybe one or two teams and i tried out for the two teams that were in greensboro north carolina where i grew up I made one of them. My parents who taught me everything that I need to know about life, about being humble, about being gracious, about being a good human being. They said, listen, the coach for this team that you just made, not a good person. Try, try out for this other team. So I tried out for the other team. And sure enough, the other team, we weren't very good. We sucked. <laughs> but you know what? I learned a lot from the coach that I had, and that was the beginning of it for me. And it just carried on from there into college and or high school, college, and so forth. And the rest is history. Was that Greensboro Greensboro Soccer Club by any chance? At the that's before it was called the Greensboro Soccer okay. Club. Now or back then it was called there were two teams. There were the Greensboro Aces and the Greensboro Buccaneers. And I played for the Greensboro Buccaneers. Mm -hmm. And every single time we played the Aces, the coach would follow me out after the game saying, You need to come play for us. You need to come play for us. And they said I can't. Yeah. Sorry, I can't. Sorry, coach. Not no, for yeah. me. That because I'm thinking because I wrote down a Greensboro SC because I was going to ask you about your the the youth club, and that's why I say South Carolina instead of North Carolina. So I was yeah. trying to correct my mistake there. No worries. No. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so going into going into high school because you know I always like to talk about high school because I was like my glory days. So I want to kind of relive everybody in glory's days. Um, you went to Page High School. Uh, where you had a bunch of honors there, all all South, all State, all American. How's that like? You know, just you know, going in and you know, being one of the top guys in you know in the state, in the region, in the country. Well, and and, and that's the interesting thing. And this is what you know. When I was involved with the Dynamo Academy, one of the things that I always tried to impart to those players is the ability to understand your situation and have perspective because a lot of people don't understand perspective 
because perspective only comes from real life experiences. And when you're a kid in high school, you don't have much perspective. You think you're Johnny Badass, especially if you're the best on the football team, the basketball team, the soccer team, the baseball team. And soccer was pretty big at my high school. And so, you know, I didn't really pay attention to much of it. I just enjoyed doing it and hanging out with my friends and spending time with my friends and eating as much as I could. If you've seen my Instagram, you know, I'm a big foodie, especially around Houston. We've got one of the most underrated culinary cities in the, in the, in the, probably in the world. I used to say in the United States, but maybe in the world now. Um, But I didn't really understand where I was in my soccer career or what my potential could be. I was just enjoying life and I was having a good time as a teenager. Were you, were you also competitive, you know, as you were like in your older years? So were, were you that tough guy also, or is that something that you kind of <laughs> got you know, into later? The, the tough guy part, the angry part came out later. Uh, I would say in college and when I became a professional, but I was certainly competitive there were times when I would just go and play as a guest player for teams. And there was one time that I remember played an indoor tournament and I think it was a U 13 team and we're playing a U 15 women's team. So it was pretty competitive. It was pretty fair game, but I ran so much and tried so hard that by the end of the game, I was laying on a stage beside the basketball court in the school um (laughs) auditorium and i was completely dehydrated and my parents Mm -hmm. had to carry me out of the place because i just wanted to win so badly and that carried over and i really do believe that that is one of the main character traits that i had that carried on throughout my career that helped me be so successful um you know going into college uh i had a coach a german coach named Elmar Bolovich and he went up to Creighton and now he's doing some new soccer stuff but during training sessions during the season he would list competition points and for every single activity that we did during training sessions you were marked if you won or lost did you win or did you lose wow and I was always number one or number two all four years that I was at the University of North Carolina and I think that that's played a big part in where I got to and how successful I was uh, with the earthquakes and then with the dynamo. That That's crazy that you mentioned that. Cause when I talked to Glenn, he kind of mentioned the same thing, you know, you know, obviously a different era, but he talked about, you know, how self-disciplined you have to, to be, you know, especially well also kind of in your time a little bit, cause soccer wasn't as big as it is today. You know, it, it was bigger than the eighties, but not as, you know, like today but you know talking about self-determination and believe in yourself and and i guess growing I, I was watching some videos of yours today uh when you were like your first years in the dynamo and you were like teaching some 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 young guys and one of the things that you you were talking to them you know was about believing in themselves and stuff like that um so transitioning into like your your college years you know because a lot you know a lot of guys you know uh high school guys you know i see a lot you know nowadays uh i i commentate for a friends league and a lot of those guys are are high schoolers or college guys you know they're trying to 
either go pro or, or trying to build a career out of there, you know, and, and I always see, you know, the, the fight and determination and stuff like that. So going into your, your college years, like how was, how was that, uh, like fire still there, you know, knowing that you went to North Carolina, like, you know, a, a great school with, with history and, and everything that comes behind it. you know, how, how did you manage to kind of move into that part of your life? Well, I didn't manage very well at first. Uh, my freshman year, I started basically every game and I thought I was Johnny badass. And this is where it comes back to perspective. Yeah. And something that I've always told young kids is what are you willing to give up? And what are you willing to sacrifice to be a professional? Are you willing to give up going out to parties at night? Are you willing to give up playing Xbox until two o'clock in the morning or PlayStation? Mm -hmm. Getting your sleep, your hydration and nutrition in. Because that's what the best in the world do. And that's what the successful professionals do. So after one semester, as a freshman, I played every game, but I failed out of school. I literally failed out of school. I had a 0.75 GPA. It was embarrassing. So thankfully, the coach was good enough to me to bring me back for summer school that following season. I was working for my mom in the off season at the North Carolina Youth Soccer Association. I was doing, I was filing papers. I was answering phone calls. It was a wake up call. This is what I want to do. I love this sport and I want to be a part of it, but I also don't want to be a dumbass. I want to be smart. So I want to get a yeah. college degree. So I went to summer school, got a couple of A's, got readmitted to school, but I was still academically ineligible for the following season. So I had to sit on the sidelines and watch. Mm. And that sucked, but it was a wake up call. And there's the perspective that I needed something that I needed to learn a hard lesson about. And, you know, that's the thing about competitive people. Sometimes you just think you got it and you can do it and no problem. And sometimes you have to learn a hard lesson. And I did that and I didn't look back. And so I played the last three seasons. My final season, we lost <laughs> to the University of Indiana. I believe it was the quarterfinals, if I'm not mistaken, of the NCAA championship. One nothing. And I think we outshot him like 28 to three. It was in Chapel Hill. We destroyed him, but we couldn't score. And the following year, after I was drafted in 2001 to the San Jose Earthquakes, we won MLS Cup. And I was calling my buddies that were still back in Chapel Hill saying, man, I wish we, because they won the championship that year. They won NCAA championship in 2001. Man, I wish I, wish I would have been there with you guys. And a couple of them said, Eddie, you just want an MLS cup. Why do you want to be here? Right. And then again, more perspective, exactly. you know, more, more life experience. Hey, you know what? You're right. You're absolutely right. And I enjoyed that time in, in California because it was just different. Cause when I grew up in North Carolina, there was uh, white people, there were black people, there weren't a lot of Hispanics, there weren't a lot of Asians so that time in California really helped me learn about cultural diversity, learn about food, learn about interacting with people, learn about like just life experience, things that you need. You got to get out and see the world. You can't just stay in one little cocoon. And that's where I was. I mean, I didn't take the first plane ride until I was 16 years old. And I went to Norman, Oklahoma to play <laughs> with the state Olympic development program. I mean, 
you know, when I was young, I was pretty sheltered, but I was definitely loved and I had a great experience growing up, but man, I credit soccer with everything, teaching me about the world, teaching me about individuals, teaching me about different cultures, teaching me about so much about life and, and learning in, in general. And I'm extremely grateful for it. I'm grateful to be sitting here with you right now. That, that's insane, you know, because you always see soccer as just, you know, some people just see it as a sport and, you know, people fight about it and, you know, cuss each other out and stuff like that. But they never see the, the other perspective of soccer, how it can help you grow as a person and, and just become, I guess, um, a man or a woman, you know, at the end at the end of the day. But, that, I mean, you're opening my eyes, you know, to, to see, I guess, you know, pe- people, not just people, but like soccer players as people as well, because, you know, sometimes you see them and you're like you know do this do that you know you you play coach on your couch and and it's crazy that you know you guys are real people with real feelings and emotions and and talking about emotions it's a good segue here Uh, i want to talk about the draft you know that you know because it doesn't happen anywhere else in the world you know it's 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 very unique to this country and to this culture uh and today you know we had the the draft uh for 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 the guys today uh, and you win uh, 20th, 20th overall on the 2001 MLS draft. Um, can you kind of give us a perspective, like a firsthand, you know, uh, account of, of what happens, you know, to, to a young guy that is coming in into, into the draft like that? Well, it's different now. I mean, we had, we had a combine. So we went for a week to Florida. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with Ray Hudson, who does a lot of the Spanish broadcast on BN Sports. He's absolutely fantastic, very energetic guy. Um, He was my coach. He was the coach of Miami FC at the time, team that doesn't exist anymore. And, you know, the first game we played, you know, I was a defender, a center midfielder, number six, a holding player, and I played left wing. And I had to get used to it. I mean, just this is what you're going to do, bro. This is it. And there were, at the time, the MLS rosters were 18. And I don't think anybody really understood what we were getting into. I was the fourth college senior picked at number 20. So there were a lot of young guys. There were a lot of youth professionals that were picked ahead of me. And I didn't know what I was getting into. So I get to San Jose, California. And we're going through preseason. And I'm watching guys show up in the morning and cleaning out their locker. And I'm looking, I'm saying, that guy's better than me. That guy's better than me. That guy's better than me. What's going on? And it comes back to what we were talking about earlier. I think my personality and my character traits that I was just a hard worker that no matter what, I didn't care what day of the week it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, you're not going to work harder than me, whether it's training or game, you're just not going to work harder than me. And I was on a league minimum of $24,000 a year in Silicon (laughs) Valley. So I think that helped with the salary cap a little bit. (laughs) But uh, it's it's a bit overwhelming if you've never been around that the professional level because you don't know what to expect. Because when you get there, if you're not mentally tough, you're going to fall apart. You're going to be right. It's like it's like traffic in Houston. Right. Okay, go out and drive <laughs> between four o'clock and seven o'clock. 
if you're not aggressive, you're going to get run over. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I can't think of a better analogy. If you're not aggressive driver, you're going to get absolutely run over. And the same thing with rookies coming in the league, you got to be aggressive and you might rub some people the wrong way with your attitude and your personality. But if you want to be successful, that's where you have to start. That, that's crazy. Because on that year, you only played one game, uh, which was your debut. And your only game that year, um, had, we were talking we, with the Dynamo Theory guys, the other podcast that I do. We were talking to Marcelo Palomino and, and you know, just getting, getting to know him. And, you know, obviously nowadays is a little bit different. There's a lot more opportunity for younger guys. Uh, but can you tell me a little bit about, you know, like you said, you know, fighting to, to get in that spot, to be able to play you know, that one game, but then, you know, you coming in the next year and played a little bit more. Uh, but what was, you know, what were those emotions uh, going in, you know, in your head to be like, I'm a professional, I'm playing soccer and I'm getting paid to play a game. And, you know, I, I was scared to death. I was scared to death because it was the second game of the season. Um, and as you said, that was the only game I played that year and it was probably deserved. I didn't deserve to play anymore <laughs> because Even still today, the jump from college to MLS is so large. But when you look back then, there were only 12 teams in Major League Soccer. So the quality from player one to player 18 in the roster was it was unreal. Now you've got 28 teams. It's coming up on 29 and 30. It's a bit watered down. I don't see the same quality. You go back and you look at that Miami FC team. You look at our original San Jose Earthquakes teams. You look at some of the New York Metro Stars teams. I think they'd smash some of the teams today. And a lot of MLS fans are younger and they don't, they don't know anything about those days because it's hard to find video. It's hard to find games. It's hard to see that stuff. But when you talk about Alex Pineda Chacon and Diego Serna, who I had to play against in that first game in Miami. And we only lost two one, and I did. Okay. <laughs> I'm thinking back and I'm, Holy moly. That was a, that, it was just a scary event, but it really set the tone for me. And then that following year in 2002, when Jeff Agus got injured at the world cup, that was my opportunity. And I took advantage of it. And that's the one thing, that's the only thing you can ask for as a young player is given an opportunity and you have to take advantage of it. And I did. And so when Jeff got healthy, I was playing center back and they moved him to left back because Wade Barrett had left San Jose. So, you know, I feel like the timing about everything was just right. And my attitude was just right. And those are the things that I try to share with younger players Uh, especially, you know, when my time with the Academy, my time with the dash, take your chance when you get it. Yeah. It, it's crazy that you mentioned that you were literally behind a guy that was playing in the world cup. And, and then, you know, it was you, a guy coming out of like fresh out of college in a way. Uh, it, it's crazy. And, you know, got to take those opportunities when you can. Um, but I want to talk a little bit more into your position, you know, uh, because, you know, you said you were playing uh, in the midfield, like a holding midfield guy, and then you, you ended up playing center back the rest of your career. Um, wh which one was your preferred position? And, and how do you see, 
all the same thing as Glenn because he played that position too. And I played that position in high school. I, you know, obviously not the same level, but, you know, I, I always like to watch games and just look at those center backs and see how they're doing and what they're doing and, you know, try to put myself in, in their place. But how did you see that position, you know, back in the day and today? I And one of the questions that I was going to ask you at the end was, how do you think the Dynamo from 2006 and up were, you know, would do in, in the MLS today? But I think, you know, you already answered that question but uh just tell me a little bit more about like more specifics about the game how did you see that position from then to now well I don't think a lot has changed as far as the center back position goes it depends on if a team's playing kind of a hybrid three five two with two wing backs that are that are defending wide when they don't have the ball and getting forward when they do but we always played a four four two in San Jose and then in Houston under Dominic Kinnear. So your job or my job, the center back's position was to make sure you organized, make sure you took care of the forwards and make sure that, you know, you tried to keep the game in front of you. You wanted them with their back to goal. You wanted them playing backwards, just giving them um, a little bit of pressure. And I think the same thing goes today, but it just depends because there's so many different ideas with different coaches and how they want to play the game and how they see attacking versus defending and these hybrid wingers. Now it's, it's something that we didn't have back then. I mean, you're playing a four, four, two, you're playing a three, five, two, right? I mean, that was it. You know, yeah. that was when we played the revolution, the new England revolution in 06 and 07. I mean, unfortunately for them, and I feel terrible for <laughs> Steve Nichol and Taylor Twelman and Pat Noonan that, you know, they were in four straight MLS cups and didn't win one, but they, I mean, they were a three, five, two system. That's the way they played. And we played a four, four, two, and those were the only two options. That's what people did. Yeah. There weren't any different ideas about how to play or about splitting up when we have the ball versus when we don't have the ball. And I just tried to be an enforcer, to be honest. I mean, all I cared about when I stepped on the field is smashing you in the mouth and making sure that I didn't give up any opportunities for you to score goals. And knowing that for my entire time in Major League Soccer, I had an outstanding goalkeeper behind me. It was Joe Cannon. It was Pat Onstad. It was Tally Hall. I mean, it was... I was very fortunate in that situation too, because, you know, our earthquake teams and our dynamo teams, we didn't give up a lot of chances, but when we did, our goalkeepers came up huge. And, you know, that's the one thing that you can, you can say about those teams is we had attitude and we had fight. We won't knock your teeth down your throat and score goals while we did it. And, that was the fun part about it. And that doesn't really exist today. Yeah. That attitude. And I don't know if it's the social media and the egos or the increased wages in the United States, but it's, it's a different game now. And I don't know that I would survive. And I've told a lot of people this, that I, I may not, I wouldn't be able to play in MLS today because for as many red cards as I got, I'd probably get twice <laughs> as many days. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to my dad earlier today. You know, my dad, he's an old school guy, you know, growing up in the 80s, 90s. 
Um, and I remember when I was in high school, you know, and I played center back, he, you know, he would, he would be in the stands and I could hear him yelling at me, you know, break them, break them. And I'm like, like, relax, you know, like I, I can't see, be. <laughs> he was too used to those river plate Boca games. Huh? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, and, you know, he would be like, you know, when you go in there, you know, make sure you punch them, make sure, you know, hit them in the gut, make sure the ref doesn't see you. Uh, and, and, it, you know, and I had that mentality. Obviously, I wasn't as violent. You know, I would, you know, I would do little things here and there. But, um, the, you know, we were talking about today how specifically about you, about, you know, the amount of yellow cards and red cards that you got in your career. And he was like, yeah, that's, a, you know, that's what that's what a center back is, you know. And he's like, nowadays, you protect the forwards too much, you know. And, and the center backs are too scared to, you know, hit. And I was like, well, yeah, you're right, you know. But uh, question for you, do you think nowadays they, I don't know, like you said, you don't know if, it, you know, the money nowadays, you like you get hurt a little bit and, you know, they come out because obviously they're trying to, I mean, obviously take care of their career and stuff like that. But, you know, it seems like now they protect the players more or at least the forwards, you know, the attacking players. Do, do you think that's a, a fair thing to say? Yeah, it is. It's a different game now. It's yeah. just a different game. And, you know, even as a coach, I would tell my players, look, man, you got fouled in the box. Go down. Stop trying to be so tough. <laughs> yeah. You could have gotten a penalty, right? Yeah. I mean, that's just the way it is. True. It yeah. is the way it is. And I remember laughing because I had been retired for, I think, six years. And we had a Dynamo broadcast. And Ricardo Clark had earned the all-time record for yellow cards for the Houston Dynamo six years <laughs> after I retired. <laughs> it took that long for somebody to get past me, but it, it, it's just a different game now and everybody mm. has to accept it. That's, it is the way it is. It is what it is, you know, with VAR now and, you know, high definition cameras all over the field, you've got to be careful. And yeah. like I said a minute ago, I don't know that I'd be able <laughs> to get away with playing for very long in the league now because I was just a mean, you know what, for so long. But that's – I wanted to win. And, yeah, of course. you know, when I watch games and I see teams that lose walking around smiling and laughing, congratulating the other players from the other team, it makes me mad. And I don't like it. But – it's it is what it is now because they know they're getting a paycheck and back then you had to fight for your paycheck and a lot of what we made was on bonuses end of year bonuses whether you played 70 percent of games I mean listen when I was playing when I was young you had to make it to July 31st July 31st was the cutoff date you could not be cut from the team or released wow. from a non-guaranteed contract so come J July 31st August 1st you were celebrating I'm getting paid for the rest of the year, right? For the rest of the season, I'm getting paid. Wow. And I remember when we won MLS Cup in 2001, there was a conversation between some of the players and Jeff Agus was our captain. And he decided that all 18 players, regardless of how much time they played, were getting the same amount of bonus. We we're going to split it evenly. So I got, I think it was 10 grand. And I didn't know what to do. I was so excited. <laughs> $10,000, right? are you kidding me? Nowadays? Oh, yeah. I mean, these guys are getting a lot of these guys are getting 10 grand a month, That's 10 crazy. grand every two weeks. Right. I mean, easy money. Like, are you kidding me? That's More insane. than that, especially the center backs on the dynamo now, <laughs> over a million dollars each. Yeah. So, the highest paid. 
Yeah. You know, it's, it's, again, I, I just always go back to perspective and I yeah. encourage people to try and understand where they're at and how lucky they are to be doing what they're doing, because there are a million people that would trade spots with you in a second. Oh yeah. And, you know, even just to get to be doing the TV now, I'm, I, I feel lucky and I feel blessed that going on the 11th year doing it now with Glenn that the, awesome. the team, the organization, the league, anybody in charge has had enough uh, confidence in us to do a good job. I mean, and then since we're talking about you, you being in Houston, I want to talk about that transition, you know, like that, because that, that's also another American thing, you know, very American of like moving, you know, whole teams and organizations around and stuff like that. Uh, what, how was that transition, you know, for you you know personally well i was angry at first because they took our mls two mls cups away they took our supporter shield from 2005 away mm -hmm. i'll still argue with anybody that the 2005 <laughs> earthquakes were the best team in the history of the league um when you look at that roster and and what we had and we didn't lose a home game and i think we only lost four games that year i mean it was just it was such a good team but to come to this city and have the reception that we had from the fan base. It was almost like it was destiny to win those two MLS cups because we were so appreciative or appreciate, appreciated. And you look at any of those guys that came, Ricardo Clark, Brad Davis, Dwayne DiRosario, Brian Ching, Pat Onstad, Craig Weibel, Wade Barrett. I mean, just the lit Richard Mulrooney, the list goes on and on. None of us were ever worried about going out into the community. And you didn't get paid back then for most of the appearances. When you went out in the community, you did it because you wanted to. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, I think it's in the, the um, collective bargaining agreement. Players don't do appearances unless they're paid a certain amount of money, depending on where it is and who it's for. And we made that connection with our fan base. So it wasn't just, Hey, I love the Houston dynamo. It's, Hey, my kid got to meet and spend time with some of these players. And now all of a sudden you had a personal relationship. So it was almost like you were rooting for your friend. It wasn't just some random person that you didn't know or you didn't meet, or maybe you got lucky enough to take a picture with, but this was your friend. This is a person that actually spent genuine time with you and talked to you and answered questions and spent time with your kids and, you know, helped out with charity events and all these other things. I mean, it's, you don't see that a lot anymore in major league soccer. And again, it comes down to just <clears throat> the way that players are, are raised and, the, you know, again, the social media, the income, all this other stuff, it's starting to mirror some of the other sports in the United States. It's, it used to be, you know, and I talk about this with my children. And this is one thing. I have two daughters. And back when I was a kid, it was normal for children to say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. Please. And thank you. And if you those kids didn't, it was a surprise. Nowadays, it's a surprise if those kids actually say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, please and thank you. And I think the same thing goes for professional athletes when they actually get out in the community because how much 
time does the local or did the local news media spend on JJ Watt and all the stuff he did in the community. Right. And whether it was James Harden or um, Andre Johnson from the Texans when he was here, that was unique and it shouldn't be, it should not be for professional athletes. They should be out doing more because that's the way you earn fans and that's the way your club strives. And that's a big problem for the dynamo for quite a few years now. So, you know, Pat Onstad's come in as the GM and has talked about culture and Ted Siegel's talked about culture. And all I can hope is that they're being serious and that they can get that culture back that we had on those early Dynamo teams, because we did that. We cared about the community. We cared about the city. And we got out and we did that stuff. It wasn't unique that one guy or two guys were out doing it. I, I mean, it, that's crazy because, you know, everybody just thinks about championships and, you know, all the good times, but nobody, nobody really thinks about, you know, you guys being out there and, and, and talking to people, being with people. I was watching also an interview that you did with Glenn and, and Paul Daglish uh, uh, maybe about a year ago or so. And you guys were talking about a, a, a young kid. Uh, I, you know, I don't know how old they are now, but that, you know, he was having surgeries and, and you guys kind of kept, kept up with him and and you know y'all became friends basically and you know that doesn't happen like you were saying that doesn't happen when that professional athletes you know basically become friends with the regular folks you know from from the town but it but it's it wasn't you know boy it seems like it wasn't you know just to like look like a good guy but you know it was out of love i guess love for the people love for for what you're doing out of respect and and, and all that so I mean, we appreciate that. And, and like you said, hopefully that, that turns around as well, because it would be great for, for kids nowadays to, to be able to see all these professionals, you know, out there with them and, and playing with them. But, but I want, let's get more into uh, the soccer part of, of that Houston Dynamo, because, you know, obviously y'all did great things for the community uh, outside of the pitch, but inside of the pitch, you know, you guys were killing it. Um, and then you personally, you had a great, a great time over there fighting with Dallas players, uh, going to all-star games, you know, uh, going to the men's national team in 2008. So I have here on my, on my little notes, I have in 2006, you, you played against Chelsea in the all-star game. 2007, you were part of the MLS best 11. I mean, you were one of the best 11 in the whole league. 2008, you were into the, to the national, um, to the national team. You had, you know, your one only game, but you scored. So, um, Can you like touch on, on those three things? Because I think those are, you know, if I had that career, those would be like highlights for me in my, on my sports career. Uh, and I'm sure for you, hopefully they are too. I mean, starting off with the all-star game against Chelsea. I mean, we come back and you're seeing a bunch of guys that just played in the World Cup. I mean, they're, they're in their preseason and it's mind blowing. To, to, you know, to play against a bunch of American guys week in and week out and then see these international all-stars that you watch on TV every weekend, wishing you could be playing there because they're making millions of dollars. So I came on at halftime and I don't think it was maybe, it was, I don't remember how long into halftime it was, but somebody gave the ball away in midfield and the ball went through our goalkeeper's legs and I'm chasing it back towards the goal. I'm thinking I'm going to clear it, but I'm also thinking, no, I'm just going to smash this into the side net because I'm not going to get there in time. Somehow 
and this is at this is when um, Chicago built their new stadium. So the grass was terrible. It was really <laughs> thin and really deep, and it was just awful. It was just an awful place to play. But I managed to get the ball around the side of the net. So you know the rest of the game goes on. Dwayne De Rosario scores. We win one nothing. Um, I think Peter Novak was the coach. This was when Jose Mourinho was at Chelsea. Yeah. And I was uh, fortunate enough to be standing beside Frank Lampard when the final whistle blew and I got his jersey. So I have nice. a uh, Frank Lampard game-worn Chelsea jersey. Nice. I was pretty fortunate. And Jose Mourinho locked everybody out of the locker room, but you could hear him screaming because he was so angry <laughs> that they lost to a bunch of random American guys. I mean, you know, you're, I mean, I remember passing the ball to Nate Jaqua. And probably a lot of people say, who's Nate Jaquel? Well, he played in Houston. Big center forward. The guy that I really appreciate. I mean, Freddie Adu was on that team. Um, obviously, Dwayne was on that team. It was, it was a great team. We had a lot of fun. Um, but that was obviously a highlight. And then just being named best 11 and getting that appreciation. Is more, more than anything from the players in the league because the players get to vote too on that. And once upon a time, someone asked me and they said, if, uh, if you were commissioner for a day, what would you do? And I said, I'd give the fans and the media um, ultimate rights to vote for the all-star teams, but I would give the players and the head coaches the rights to vote for the end of season awards, goalkeeper of the year, defender of the year, best 11, this, that, and the other. So when those guys that you play against show you that kind of appreciation, it, it means a lot. And again, yeah. it, it takes a while. You have to grow up and you have to live life and you have to gain experience to really appreciate that. So that was nice. But then, you know, I think there was probably four or five years in a row that I went to the U.S. national team January camp, <clears throat> but never got to play games. I sat on the bench for – USA, Mexico and Houston and USA, Mexico and, and Phoenix. And what amazing experiences. But when I got to play against Sweden and LA and scored that goal, it was funny because that night we won, I think it was, was it 2-1 or 2-0? I'm trying to remember, but Landon Donovan scored a penalty kick for the second goal for the United States. And he became the all-time leading goal scorer for the United States. So nobody, nobody <laughs> gave a crap about me. <laughs> That's hilarious. Like, your first uh, goal. <laughs> overshadowed. But, you know, again, it just, it, it all, it all ends up and leading to a bit of humility and, and fun times and great memories. And, you know, I, I, there's just no words to describe to anyone how appreciative I am and how lucky that I've been to, have the experiences I've had and to have done what I did for as long as I did it. And it, what a ride it's been. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just for perspective issues, you know, for everybody listening, he, that Chelsea team that he's talking about, Mourinho was the coach. I have here uh, a Cole, Robin, Balak, Lampard, John Terry, 
Drogba, Shevchenko were on that team. So, you know, they weren't playing any just like Chumps or, or Chelsea second team. You know, y'all were no, playing Chelsea, wasn't. Chelsea. And they all played. And they all yeah. played. I remember Jimmy Conrad. I don't know if you were familiar with Jimmy yeah, Conrad yeah. at all. Spent He spent quite a few years with a national team, played in Kansas City, played with us in San Jose for quite a bit. He was a center back also, played a little right back, but he got into it with Didier Drogba. And I'm sitting there on the bench just laughing my tail off. <laughs> trying not because yeah but i mean it it was it was it was almost a surreal experience and when you're again when you're that young it's hard to understand how special it is yeah yeah that's insane um just a quick a little quick uh thing about playing in like internationally like you know since you said you first got on a plane you know going to to a camp when you were 16 uh but then you were able to you know go play you know in central america against central american teams and playing you know playing those teams at home how is that you know that experience you know maybe a different soccer culture over there as well how you know how were those games that you know when they started there was a tournament called superliga which man there's probably a lot of fans that aren't familiar with that was similar to the concacaf champions league and I've never seen anyone so competitive as those teams were when they played against MLS teams. Because when you think about it, in our region of the world, the United States, it's just kind of the top of everything, but never has been at soccer. So they had something to prove, whether it was Honduras, El Salvador, Costa Rica, Mexico, Jamaica, anywhere, Panama. I mean, we played in all those countries. We played against all those teams. The Pachuca games were epic, absolutely epic, our games against Pachuca. And if you haven't seen them, go back and watch them, please. Um, But they took special pride, all of those teams, in giving their best to Major League Soccer teams, not just us, because that's the one thing that's been so significant in their culture for so long that's just kind of taken hold in major league soccer because let's be honest major league soccer is only what 26 years old 27 years old super young and it's you know people it's ingrained and and people talk about in houston well we have so many hispanic soccer fans no you got to understand that they grew up with their dad their grandpa their mom their uncle their aunt supporting one team with such a passion that it was scary. So that's ingrained in their lives. So you can't just expect for them to just come and support the Houston Dynamo. You can hope, but you can't just expect that. And that's the same kind of pride that the players that we played against in those games took as far as trying to beat us and making sure that we didn't win any of those tournaments and they did a great job. (laughs) Right, They, they, they make sure that didn't happen. Uh, but I mean, that's insane, you know, just the, the whole traveling part, but I'm, I'm sure it was amazing. Um, well, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this, you know, there were, there were two trips that I remember specifically. We went to San Salvador and that was the only trip that we ever went on that we had a private security. Hmm. And as we're pulling up to our hotel, downtown San Salvador, we see all of these police officers with shotguns and ARs standing Jeez. around And before we get off the bus, security says, listen, don't leave the hotel because everyone (laughs) here has guns. 
And when they start shooting, the police run the other direction. Right. So that was that one. And then we go to, I think it was Olympia in Honduras. We get to the stadium and we pull up right next to this very small door. That's, I mean, it's only big enough for someone small to fit through. I mean, you almost have to walk through it sideways and we're about to get off. And someone says, hold on. The bus driver says, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 stop. Out of that door comes about 40 police officers with riot shields and they create a tunnel for us to go off the bus and into. So as soon as we get off the bus, there's bags of feces and urine, and batteries <laughs> and coins just pouring down on top of us. It was unbelievable. It was crazy. And crazy. As an American kid, you yeah. don't understand that. If you grew up in those in, in, in that society, mm. then you get it. I mean, it is what it is. That's the passion that people yeah. have. And maybe it pours over to get to be a little too much, but that's the passion that those people have for their teams and their culture and the game of soccer. And, you know, I hope that one day the United States can get to that. Not, not the, not uh, the batteries part, the violence, <laughs> but just the passion and the love yeah. of their teams. That's crazy. I was going to ask you, were you, did you go play in Argentina? Cause that, that sounds like Argentina back I in wish, the day. Man. La Bombanera. Exactly. That's, that's what, you know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Smarter yeah, I than I look. Don't let this face <laughs> No, it's crazy because I remember as a kid, you know, just a quick story here. Um, as a kid in my in my neighborhood, you know, I lived like two, three houses away from, from a corner, from a low intersection. And I remember on, on Clásicos, on River against Boca, my, my parents wouldn't let me go outside. You know, we, we played soccer outside, but she wouldn't let me because everybody would gather in that corner. And every single time there would be fights and and, you know, the whole thing because they would some of the guys would be on one side of the street and then the the other guys would be on the other side but you know of course everybody ended up crossing over and you know just going at it but you know it's you know she would be like you can't go out not today can't go outside you stay inside and all the kids just peeking out their windows or like you know out the fence and stuff like that but yeah those but people are crazy when people say football is all right Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no worries. When, when people say football is life in the rest of the world, it really is. It really it. is. And I hope that someday in the United States, it gets to that level. Because, but I mean, you know, we're the only ones that have the NFL, the NBA, that have Major League Baseball, has NHL hockey. So there's a lot of different options. We're in a lot of other countries. There just aren't. I mean, that's football is life. And yeah. I love it. That passion for me is is unreal you know when i hear you know you'll never walk alone before the liverpool games i mean it's it's amazing and being argentinian i'm curious about how you feel about the philip coutinho going to aston villa seeing that scarf in the background yeah so i'm i'm a new i'm a new aston villa fan i i decided this year i was like you know you know what i i've never followed the premier league you know i know about the teams i know about the players and this year i just kind of picked a random one in a way And I was like, I'll just go Aston Villa because, you know, he, they're not a Chelsea, a Liverpool, a Manchester United. They seem like a smaller team. But but then once you start digging in, you know, they have history. So I was like, well, they're not so little after. All. You know, I, every single team in England has history. So I don't know. I just decided to pick you know, Aston Villa and I kind of went 
all in, you know, as I usually do with my teams. So I only support three teams, these three teams, Boca, the Dynamo, of course, and Aston Villa. The other one was a gift, but, you know, it's just there for, for uh, aesthetics. Well, uh, I'm certainly grateful that you support the Dynamo. Yeah, I mean, I, I, went, I went all in, you know, when, when I decided, I think it was like four or five years ago, I was like, dude, like there's soccer right here. You know, being, being Argentinian and just kind of like, you know, I, I can follow Boca and, and, but, you know, there's only so much I can do from, from, from here. You know, I've never been to the stadium, even though I was, I lived there until I was eight, uh, but I was like here, you know, I can go. I live 30 minutes away. You know, I can make the drive. I can go support. I can go chant and sing and do everything that I, you know, that I would do when, if I was over there, right. um, why not do it here? Why not support, you know, the home team? Why not support the city that I love, I guess. Uh, so I just kind of went all in. So, you know, so that's why I'm like so glad and kind of starstruck that I'm talking to you in a way, you know, cause you mean so much to the city. So once again, thank you. <laughs> well, yeah. I appreciate that. I really yeah. do. I, I don't see myself in that light at all. Um, I, I just love this club and, even for all the struggles that it's had for the past few years, I, I, I honestly, I've tried to walk away, but I can't. Yeah, it's, it's, it's in my blood. It's literally mm. in my blood. I'm, I'm so, I'm so glad. I, I'm so glad that we have, you know, as a, as a fan, you know, that like, like you, that go all in, you know, like there's no way for me to, to pick a different team. There's no way. Cause when I first started following the MLS, uh, I was like, Oh, I'm a Portland fan. Cause I didn't know any better. Mm. And, and I was like, you know, they have a cool team and I like the, their fans and stuff like that, but it, it didn't feel right for me living in, in Houston, being a Portland fan. It just didn't feel right. in, in like in my heart, in a way, you know? Uh, but yeah, I'm so glad like there's people like you that cannot walk away and, and have even like Glenn, you know, they say things when they have to say things. And because at the end of the day, you know, it, it goes beyond a certain person that's in charge or, you know, somebody that makes decisions, you know, the, the real fans, the ones that actually put their, you know, money, sweat, tears, and, you know, passion in there, you know, they do it for the colors and, and the crest. And, and the only way to build I think personally, the only way to build history and culture, you know, like an Aston Villa or a Boca, you know, that have been around for hundreds of years, uh, I think is to do that. Just kind of pass on that passion to your children and don't let them be an, you know, a Frisco fan. Don't let them be an Austin fan. You know, you, you are orange till the day that you die, you know, and, and I, and, you know, people like you legends, you know, that have played in the team from, from the beginning and just kind of stay with that passion, you know, you guys are like a motivation to, to be like, look at these guys, you know, they, they actually fought and they still care about the team, you know, Pat, you know, they come back to the team. They, they want to see the team change and it's just inspiring in a way as a, as a fan. Well, I, I know that I want to pass it on. I, I want to do everything that I can. And as I told you, I'm just a humble guy that happened to have a decent career in professional soccer <laughs> and was lucky enough to, spend time playing for the Houston Dynamo. But, I, you know, I, I want people to know that if you see me, you can come up and talk to me. We can have a conversation. You can message me on Twitter. You can, the same way you did, to get yeah. in touch with me for this for this interview. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm an average guy. I mean, I wear cowboy boots. <laughs> I, always thought I'd, I always thought I'd move back to North Carolina after I retired from playing, but I just love it here. I love it here. I love the team. I love what I get to do. 
every Saturday night sitting with Glenn and talking about the team. And sometimes it's hard trying to find positive things to say, especially the last few years, but that's part of it and not giving up, just not giving up. And that's the one thing I'll say, because a lot of people have given up on the organization and the team. And now we've got a new GM and we've got a new coach and we've got a new owner that's saying he wants to spend some money. So let's see what happens. True, true. Let's get, let, let's see what happens. I, I, you know, watching the draft today and seeing the three players that were selected, um, you know, I'm going to be hopeful and I'm going to try to be optimistic about it, even though there hasn't been a lot to be optimistic (laughs) about in the past. And I don't think anyone will argue with me, not in the front office, not ownership, not anyone. Um, but that's, that's part of what I do now is being honest and mm-hmm. but being honest in a decent way that I'm not just completely negative. Like, for instance, you hear Roy Keane talk about Manchester United right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh boy. That's rough. Oh gosh. Yeah, oh rough. gosh. He's not going to be welcome back. It's, you know, it's <laughs> I'm trying to be more like Alex Ferguson and keep it politically correct and, yeah. and pretty average, but I do love the organization and it will never not be my club. That's awesome. And uh, just to kind of close it off, um, you know, we could talk about your, your coaching uh, career, you know, it was a short one, but I think it's, it's very important, you know, in any years that you, you kind of are there, you know, passing on what you have learned. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's important. So if you want to talk a little bit about that and then also just to kind of close it off, I want to get into your, what you do now, which is to, you know, and, you know, be an analyst, be a color analyst, you know, with the dynamo kind of, you know, putting your two cents in, you know, and just giving that knowledge to the people. Those two things go hand in hand because it's, for me, they're both about teaching. And the one thing that I learned very early on was something called uh, guided discovery. So when you're coaching young children, especially, even, even the older kids, even some of the dash players, when I was coaching with the dash, but when I was coaching with the academy, um, when a player does something that doesn't fit with the system or is not the way that you want it to be done, instead of saying, you did this wrong, here's how you should do it, you ask questions to make them think and lead them down a path to figure out the answer themselves. You don't just tell them how to do it. So when they start thinking about it the right way, it becomes different. It becomes knowledge. And then you create a certain amount of repetition that becomes habit. And once that repetition becomes habit, that's when you get the good players. And I feel the same way about doing the TV and for the fan base, for those that watch the games. I'm not a homer. I will always be honest about both teams. If the Dynamo are playing poorly, I'll say it. If the Dynamo are playing well, I'm going to say it. If the referee's doing bad, I'm going to say it. (laughs) If he's having a good game, I make sure because the referees, they they get a lot of flack. But when they do something right, I'm going to make sure that I put that out there. But I'm also going to try to point out things, especially in replays, that most soccer fans wouldn't see and wouldn't look at. One of the things is everybody watches the ball. Where's the ball? Yeah. Where's the ball? Where's the, yeah, yeah. What are the people off the ball doing? 
What are the forwards on the other side of the field doing when the right winger has the ball? What are the center midfielders doing? What are the center backs doing? Are they or the center backs organizing the defense in case there's a turnover to stop a counterattack? All of these little things I'm teaching so that hopefully the fans that really listen to it and that really enjoy it, they become more aware. Yeah. They learn more about the game. I'm a teacher of the game so they can hold the players, the coaching staff, the organization to a higher standard because that's what they need. And that's what we need uh, as an organization. So that's, I, I look at coaching and, and doing the television analysts a, a lot the same. It's all about teaching and the process of teaching isn't as simple as a lot of people might think. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, I, I honestly, me watching the games, uh, I, I do learn a lot and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I get into the nerdy stuff when it comes to soccer, you know, not so much numbers, but, you know, the whole, you know, watching players move and, you know, not only the ball, but, you know, the movements, the way that they think, the way they think ahead and stuff like that is, is very interesting. So having somebody like you that, that loves to teach and knows the game. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's amazing. And I think everybody in Houston should be grateful that, you know, we have you and Glenn as, as our guys, you know, because you know, I've heard other people, you know, I've watched, well, I don't know if you see, if you saw the, the Aston Villa uh, Manchester United game, but those dudes are very Manchester United oriented. Oh yeah. Oh <laughs> so yeah. Like, come on guys. You're like, you know, be at least be, you know, unbiased, you know, don't, don't put it out there. Right. Well, maybe there's payback coming up this weekend, right? Hey, right. Hey, hopefully, right. But but I'm grateful that you know there's like you said, I I, I like the honesty. You know when when the, when the players are doing bad, you know, and you point that out, that's that's amazing because you know if they watch back, they can also learn as well. Because you know why not? Oh, but, I uh, hope so. Yeah, but you know I'm not going to take any more of your time. I really really appreciate you know having this conversation we can probably continue to talk for hours about you know soccer stuff more specific but you know i i really thank you so much for you know for taking the time and, and is there there's anything you know you would like to say to to the to the fans or, or to the people you know that that are watching this uh just listen it, it's all about passion it, it's about your love for the game not just the individual players not just the results but showing your support because I can say from firsthand knowledge that we respond to that when you're in the stadium, when you're cheering us on, even when you're giving us flack, if we're not playing well, we respond to that. And I think this new batch of players, and I think when you listen to Pat Onstad talk, he's not going to put up with crap anymore. So um, we're entering a new era of, of the Houston Dynamo, and I'm very grateful for being on here. And for you taking your time to spend this time with me and for everyone that watches. Um, and like I said, if anybody has any questions and you can find me on Twitter, you can find me on Instagram. If you're hungry, don't look at my Instagram because there's a lot of food <laughs> on there. Um, but reach out to me. I'm an open book. Uh, I, I think I've hopefully I've proven here today. I'm an open book. I'll tell you what I think. And I'll tell you how I think and I'll share whatever uh, answers to any questions anyone has. Awesome. Awesome. So everybody, once again, uh, you know, if you, if you're trying to find the show, you can always find Cuatro Cuatro Dos on Twitter and Instagram. And, you know, once again, thank you, Eddie, for this. And we, we hope to talk to you soon. In honor of Brian Ching. Let's go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bro. All right.